This is Living While Dying, an ALS story from Minnesota Public Radio News. I'm Kathy Warzer. Throughout the course of my discussions for a radio audience with Bruce Kramer, who had been diagnosed with ALS in December of 2010, Bruce kept writing an elegantly honest blog, The Dis-Ease Diary. June 20th, 2013, Bruce wrote this. There is nothing like impending death to focus your thinking. I find myself, he wrote, in a strange position of feeling urgency to bring certain parts of life to fruition, while at the same time recognizing a lack of physical strength for the task. Bruce's strength was being sapped by ALS. The second drug trial he had been in ended abruptly. We told you about that in our last installment. Shortly after Bruce's participation in that trial ended, he started noticing a growing weakness in his neck muscles. He had to wear a neck brace, which he hated when he was in his mobility van because his head would snap back and forth on his wobbly neck muscles. His sleep was also ragged. Since ALS weakens all the body's muscles, including those that help with breathing like the diaphragm, Kramer was thinking of getting something called the diaphragmatic pacing system in June of 2013. It's basically along the same lines as a heart pacemaker, only it's for your diaphragm. So you get more support under your breathing, and you actually are able to breathe better with the DPS. The actor Christopher Reeve, who was paralyzed in a horseback riding accident, used such a system, and it has been used by other people with spinal cord injuries. This part, I think, is true. It has lengthened their lives and also given them a better quality of life because it's allowed them to go off of the ventilator. Before he's fitted for such a device, Kramer has to make several decisions, including finding out whether his insurance will pay for it. It's pretty expensive, and I'm not going to bankrupt the family for something like this. And then the third thing, of course, is, is there a reasonable expectation that it would improve my quality of life? There are a number of people that I have been in touch with um, who have ALS and who have had this done, mostly in Cleveland, at the Cleveland Clinic, and their sense is that they have more strength under their voices, they're not out of breath, um, they just feel like they're a little stronger. Although I'm listening to you, and so are our friends on radio and, and online listening to you, and really your breath sounds pretty strong, your voice sounds strong. Are you feeling as if you're losing that? Oh, yeah. I would invite you to compare this story here with the first one, and you will hear the weakening. I just don't have the ability to support the voice like I used to. When I'm tired, I'm beginning to feel tongue weakness and um, feeling like there's just a hint of a lisp in my, in my tongue. You know, these things are coming. It is what it is. I, I know they're coming, and I can keep worrying them. Frankly, I'm much more upset about the fact that I just can't use my hands anymore. So it sounds as if you're dealing with a lot of challenges. But there's some good news, I understand, that very soon, August, is that right? You're going to be a a grandpa? Mm -hmm. I am going to be a grandpa. Our son, uh, David, and his wife, Athena, uh, are going to have a little girl. And we're just... We're thrilled, just thrilled. I've started to uh, read books into into the computer. I'm going to make MP3 discs of Grandpa reading so that when Grandpa can't read, the books will still be there. On the Night You Were Born by Nancy Tillman. On the night you were born, 
the moon smiled with such wonder that the stars peeked in to see you and the night wind whispered, Life will never be the same. Bruce wrote an entry because in his blog, The Dis-Ease Diary, like about the impending arrival of his first grandchild. In it, he writes, One cannot help but marvel at the contrast, beginning and ending, alpha and omega, birth and death, baby and grandfather yet to be. I think I am in a distinctly authoritative place to tell you how babies feel. <laughs> you know, how so? You know, you eat when somebody gives you food. You wear what they put on you. Every little intimate detail of living, I now depend on somebody else for, other than breathing. And so that's kind of the life of a baby. Except with a baby, we have this hope that they are going to be gaining capability and um, they're going to be building capacity. And with me, I'm shedding capability and shedding capacity. And um, that intersection seems to me to be, um, how, how do the poets say it? Meet and write. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, you know, it is the circle of life. Uh, we are born and we die. And um, I am so thankful that I get to be here to see that completed because I will tell you that when I was diagnosed, I really didn't think I would live long enough to see grandkids. This is exciting news. Congratulations. Thank you. I I don't feel so much like I'm dying as that I'm turning it over. And I like that sense. When given the information, that time is short. Many people start pondering the things left undone. Think about it. If you knew you were dying, how would you spend your last days? On the bestseller list of books in the summer of 2013 was a memoir written by a former Palm Beach, Florida newspaper reporter, Susan Spencer Wendell, who was faced with that same question in the summer of 2011. Spencer Wendell was 44 years old, mother of three young children when she was diagnosed with ALS. Her book, Until I Say Goodbye, sparked a lot of media attention. Her story was on NBC's Today Show. Facing the impossible choice to languish or to live, Susan embraced her fate. You're happy? She's lucky. Before her body completely failed, she began a journey, a year dedicated to living with happiness, a celebration to create positive new memories with loved ones. Spencer Wendell spent a year shortly after being diagnosed traveling to far-off places, creating scrapbooks, seeing her teenage daughter try on wedding gowns, doing things to create future memories for her family and friends after she's gone. She typed her 89,000-word book in less than four months using only her right thumb. Her other fingers were useless. Other media organizations picked up her riveting story, including People Magazine and Scott Simon of National Public Radio's Weekend Edition program. This book is so funny. I know that. Glad to hear you say that. (laughs) I really don't want people to think. She doesn't want people to think it's a maudlin book. Most people don't see a lot of humor in a disease like ALS, including people who have it. Bruce Kramer read Spencer Wendell's book and wrote about it in his blog, The Diseased Diary. And then he talked about his impressions in this interview we did for Minnesota Public Radio in July of 2013. I agonized over this one. And I agonized because I don't want you to see what I'm saying as a criticism of the decisions that Susan Spencer Wendell has made. 
I, I wouldn't do it that way myself. She did it this way. She's pretty adamant about it. But the fact is, is that there, there is a certain denial of ALS, a denial of the disability that comes with ALS, even as she writes about the things that are going south in her body. She goes off and does these wonderful trips, and she's making memories for her kids, her family. But many of those trips are not with her kids and family. And so I guess, again, that's her decision. It's not the way I would do it. Well, now, wait a minute. Uh, May I just bring to your attention the fact that you jumped out of an airplane, I think not once but twice. You had some great trips. You went back to Thailand and Bali, places like that, that you used to live and you, you, you love and you revisited. So you, too, have a bucket list or had a bucket list, right? So pot calling kettle black here or what? You know, that's the point. And it's why I understand the bucket list. But the bucket list at the expense of everything else is tragic. It's a missed opportunity. You know, so yes, I went to Korea four months off of diagnosis. I went to see my kids. I jumped out of a plane. Congratulations, man. What do you think? Oh, it's great. Yeah? God. You think you tried again? Those were things that, for me, they were helpful to me to continue to stay engaged. If we can try to stay engaged, there's a lot of living to do. While Kramer is not surprised by the way Susan Spencer Wendell's story is covered by the media, he is disappointed. He feels the storyline reinforces what he thinks is a view many people have, that life with a disability caused by an illness like ALS is a life not worth living. He also feels stories like Spencer Wendell's reinforces an all-encompassing focus on the dying person and disregards the effects on family and friends. We give her a hall pass. We give her, you know, you've got ALS, go for it. Do whatever you like. Just get out there and live your life and check off your bucket list. And the idea that we would just kind of write it off or you go and uh, don't worry about any responsibility and don't worry about what it does to everybody else. That's the idea that I think, I think that's very ableistic. It's hard to see it unless you live it. It gets picked up from an ableistic point of view as well, that's the only choice you've got. And the fact is, is that, frankly, I have a really lovely life. My kids, my, my family, my friends, my former colleagues, I'm still writing, even though I can't write with my hands. I am still finding ways to engage with this life. And, and the message I would have is, you are challenged further than you ever thought you could go by something like ALS. But the fact of the matter is, is you're still alive, you're still human, and you can still have a good life, but you have to care about other people. You have to care about other things besides yourself. And that's the part I hate to see perpetuated. Perpetuated by people in the media who are also able-bodied. Let me be really clear about something here. (laughs) When we talk about disability. When we read a book like Susan Spencer Wendell's, there's almost a voyeurism 
that goes along with it. We are outsiders looking in. It's about the other. It is about, it's a story about someone who isn't us. You you see these things in news accounts, the last news story of the night. The The uplifting kicker story, we call it. The uplifting kicker story. The The young man with Down syndrome who's elected to be the prom king, which is a wonderful thing. But it's told from a point of view. It's not about the young man. It's the point of view of otherness. Other people's children have Down syndrome. Other people's children have autism. Other people get ALS. Other people are in bad accidents. Not me. I don't have to put myself around that. And what I would argue for instead is embracing this dis-ease. The fact that we all carry, we all are aware in some way, shape, or form of this this something that's out there that is going to make our lives much more challenging. And it's really what unites us. And why couldn't we be pouring our resources into that oneness of humanity rather than that otherness of humanity? It's that perspective that I'm trying to bring about. It's it's the perspective of true empathy, not pity or sympathy. Exactly. Not, I feel sorry for you. Oh, you poor person. No, it's empathy. You, you are a human being and you're doing the best you can. And I am a human being and I'm doing the best I can. And no matter what, we have that in common. And these kind of super cripple stories that, that get told they get told with otherness rather than oneness. If we ever figure that one out, I think the world will be a much better place. On the next installment of Living While Dying, an ALS story, a trip to Chicago involves a photographic epiphany for Bruce and a welcome new chapter in his life.